Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Kyle Purcell, Senior Lead of Growth Marketing at Shopify. In this episode, Kyle shared his biggest lesson upon joining Shopify on how they effectively enable collaboration across the various cross-functional functions and how they maintain alignment through a powerful company mission. We then dove into how Kyle and the team measured product market fits at Inman when switching to a subscription business for their content. We dove deep into how you can leverage email to increase engagement and retention and the trade-offs you need to consider with email frequency to mitigate churn. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Andrew. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Kyle is a senior lead of growth marketing at Shopify. The platform Commerce is built on a mission to make commerce better for everyone. Prior to Shopify, Kyle was the VP of growth at Inman News and served as the operations and marketing manager at Real Scout. So my first question for you, Kyle, is what has been your biggest learning since joining the team at Shopify? Ooh, my biggest learning since joining the team at Shopify is really around how to build positive sum results through working with cross-functional like partners. And that's really a focus of you know, how we organize our work at Shopify. And it's all collaborative working growth marketers, working hand in hand with growth engineers, data scientists, and growth designers. Um, so it's been really an eye-opening experience. And I've been able to see just how incredible that is when you bring different crafts together to solve hard problems. Yeah, that's super cool. And I think obviously when you get to the size of Shopify, and you have the scale and resources available, you can really have these specialties and functions supporting you on those missions. What is the one thing that you think though, like Shopify really do well when it comes to collaboration and bringing together these various practices? Like how do you make it work? It's built into like the fabric of how we look to our North Star metrics and how we look to get after those North Stars. So our North Star is focused around our active merchant base. So we're looking to grow the number of merchants that are using and finding success with Shopify. And the growth team in particular, the way that we drive towards that is we've created this system where we have distinct missions that are cross-functional in nature that own a specific piece of that North Star. 
So we have, you know, a mission focused around retention, which is cross-functional engineers, data scientists, growth marketers, growth product, all working together to solve retention. We have, you know, a mission focused on activation. We have a mission focused on paid acquisition, organic growth. And then the one that I'm affiliated with is called channel acceleration. And our focus is on increasing the on-site experience or improving the on-site experience for, for visitors, making the page more relevant and doing a better job of, you know, giving the user when they land on our marketing site, the context and the confidence to get started with Shopify. Very cool. And interesting to see and hear how the team structures themselves. You mentioned that you have an all-star metric that you're going after as a team, which is really to expand uh, and grow the, the customer base and the merchants. How does that transcend across the company? Is it a similar fashion? So you mentioned just you break yourselves up within the growth team into the various segments like retention. And, and how does that transcend to the rest of the company though? And something like retention, for example, is uh, something that is impacted widely across the organization. How do those teams then organize themselves outside of your growth team? Because Shopify, how many employees does Shopify have now currently? It's I want to say it's in the 40,000s. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how, um, how it's, is it's doubled in yeah. size in the last year. So outside of the growth org, I actually don't have very much context because it's such a big org and I'm, I'm relatively new at the company. I've been at Shopify for just over a year now, but I do know that core to what it means to be at Shopify is to have incredible merchant empathy and to be looking at solving problems, solving big problems, infinite problems for our merchants and working to promote this idea that commerce should be available to everyone across the world. There shouldn't be some minimum threshold or capital required to start a business. Like now, or like the day is gone where we need to have $50,000 to spend on design and a web dev to launch an e-commerce business. And at Shopify, everyone at the company sees the infinite game that we're playing towards and aligns with that. I don't know specifically how they drive retention, but I do know that the growth work is very much focused on, on, on taking that torch of systematically improving retention, systematically improving activation, systematically improving acquisition. That's very cool. And I love sort of the focus on the mission. And uh, you mentioned the word empathy, like really being empathetic uh, towards um, the goal and towards the mission. And definitely can see it's like something that's never going to end in one sense. There's always going to be ways to improve that process and to give access. But ultimately, like if the focus is really on how are we enabling uh, more and more people to get online, to start businesses, to sell, ultimately like throughout the organization, you, you're working towards the same goal and then that transcends into the different functions and roles uh, that you have across right. the board. I want to actually go back a little bit in time to your experience at Inman because I think that's where, and we had the discussion that a lot of your experience when it comes to churn and retention comes from. Maybe just give us a little bit of an overview, what Inman News is, uh, what your role was there. Sure. Yeah, so Inman News is the leading trade publication in residential real estate. So think of what Bloomberg is for finance. Inman is for residential real estate. Huge industry. Our readers are real estate agents, brokers, real estate technologists, so executives and at Zillow and Redfin um, and Open Door. So all of these professionals coalesce around. Inman. And so we have a, a couple of products. One is 
a news site where we have staff writers, we have over 400 contributing writers that produce daily to just keep the real estate industry informed and to also serve to better real estate agents and brokers craft. The other area is in hosting events. And I joined Inman just after they launched a paid subscription on their news program. And it was a really interesting time because we had identified you know, strong signals that, hey, we have product market fit on the subscription business. Our readers are willing to pay to get access to our editorial content. And that really unlocked a, a different element to Inman's business model, right? Before it was seasonal, we'd have two big events a year. That's when the revenue would come in. And then we also had ads and sponsorships on our online content. But with the subscription business now enter like recurring revenue and, yeah. and that changed everything as well as it exposed me at that time to the importance of full lifecycle marketing and thinking about the different levers, not just in acquisition, which tends to be the sexiest and, and like the most tangible to drive impact. Oh, it's exciting when you're driving more customer or it's exciting when you're driving more traffic. It's exciting when you're seeing the customer number increase, but also what is so important is being able to like retain those customers and understand what is the core value that you're delivering. What is the aha moment? How do you drive more people down this like ideal path to achieve the value that they sought out for when they initially signed up? And like that to me and to our team revealed itself as, as the biggest lever and the most important metric that we could move. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is like a maturity cycle that uh, pretty much any team goes through in the beginning. Like you said, it's, you get excited by those uh, initial logos and there's like the numbers are going up and excited. And then slowly over time, you really start to see where the big opportunity is not really in acquiring new customers. Obviously, that's an important component, but being able to retain uh, and then additionally expand on those existing customers is where it's the biggest lever for growth, uh, essentially, at the end of the, uh, the notion of the show. I'm interested as well because this is a very similar stage. We recently interviewed as well Lou Rosenfeld uh, from Rosenfeld Media, who similarly organizes big events in the UX uh, space. And they're actually busy transitioning to part of their business becoming now a, a subscription uh, business uh, for themselves. You mentioned that like you realized there was product market fit there and there was good demand for payment of uh, subscription. Like, How were you going about understanding that in the early days? What were you doing to determine like the product market fit there? And what were some of the things you did to get to that uh, realization? Yeah, so the actual launch of Inman Select, which is the subscription business that we're talking about, predates like my time at Inman. But as I understood it, that was like a, a pretty harrowing experience, right? All of a sudden deciding to cut off free access to the entire library of content and all new content being developed oh, and wow. instead put up a, a pay gate and ask for readers to subscribe and contribute. That was an interesting day. Fortunately, we had a really strong group of core users. And for these users, we, before we launched the subscription program, we got them on board with early access for annual like subscriptions. So we didn't have to worry about like any attrition for the first year. And we built a, a healthy base of users. And from that, we started to hit a 
really a two-pronged approach. One was around like awareness of this program, the different offers and value props of like why you should subscribe to In and Select. It wasn't just accessing the content. It was the community. It was discounts to our events. It was special access, as well as starting to figure out what is the right what is the right mix of free content and premium paid content? Because we were very worried that we were just going to switch the light and all of a sudden all of our content would be paid and we would just see our, our organic search rankings like tank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, our traffic tank. And so it was very touch and go. Um, so that was one aspect and that was maintaining, like ensuring that we maintain like our you know, traffic and our readership and that we just didn't, like the bottom didn't fall out. The second piece was really starting to understand these subscribers. Unfortunately, early on, we had a longer runway because we were focused on annual subscriptions. So getting people on board through discounted annual subscriptions. And then we also offered a monthly plan. And so the monthly plan was interesting because that offered us a quicker feedback, right? Like, we were able to look at new monthly subscribers and understand trends and what to look for when we saw early attrition, right? Like our retention curve was much different for the monthly subscription or it was there. Whereas for annual subscribers, we didn't know because we, we know kicked yet. out the first renewal by 12 months. And so on the monthly side, we identified a few really interesting levers on the acquisition, on the activation and on the retention front. Yeah, there's quite a few points uh, to dive into here, yeah. Oran. I think one of the things that just struck me as well was when you mentioned that there was over 400 writers. Before I didn't realize like, the size and scale of it. And I think in my mind, I was trying to think, what are some of the other businesses that have tried to do this? And typically like in new sites, I think, is it New York Times or uh, one of the bigger yeah. publications does it? But New York Times, Washington Post, like yeah, most of the big. I see almost as like in my, in my mind an assumption that like Inman would be in a better position than most of these places because of the specific niche and focus. So and having that dedicated audience specifically looking for one type of news, where typically other news sites it could be just hit and miss, and what's interesting to one or what's interesting to the other. And there's such a broad variety of things. Like, do you think this played into any uh, of that aspect? Did you see any of this in like the user feedback and some of the things that you were doing? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. At Inman, our top three like channels were organic search, email, and direct, which is, it's, that's a pretty sweet position to be in. And we had a really incredible and healthy newsletter and like email subscriber base. When we looked at how core retention fit in and like user retention fit in, it was quite interesting because we had two daily emails that were sent out every day with new content. We had weekly wrap-ups that were organized by like topic and theme. And then we had newsflash emails. So essentially most of our traffic was driven off of these email campaigns or once in a while we would get ranked for a particular article in Google News. So we'd get a lot of like unknown traffic. So folks who weren't necessarily familiar with Inman, but that wasn't quite as interesting to us as it was as building a daily ritual and like a daily habit and correctly configuring email settings so that users were getting the right amount of content at the right time. Mm -hmm. That was what really drove like high, not high product usage, but the right product usage. Not everyone wants to receive two emails a day. 
So yeah. for the folks who do want to receive two emails a day, who want to have full coverage and scope of everything that's published, like that's fantastic. But if you're not someone who wants to receive two emails a day and you start receiving two emails a day, like we need to be able to identify that quickly and make it really easy to back off of that cadence. I touched on your question. It, do you want to dig in a little bit more? Or no, I actually, yeah, I do want to dig in a little bit more in terms of this last point that you made, and we can probably spend our time focusing on the email aspects and bringing people back. But definitely see how being in a good position there with the three main sources being on SEO and direct and email and a big part of the, the business growing from there. Let's dive into the email specifically, because I think this is one of those ones when it comes to activation and retention that is in SaaS and business, like we use our onboarding and activation emails, and we try to pull out newsletters to bring uh, things back. But getting to a real level of sophistication where you understand your end users uh, needs and their frequency and being able to meet those, I think it's a different ballgame. And it sounds like you spend a lot of time thinking about these challenges. So what were some of the early mistakes that you made when it came to the email that you set up? And you can say, ah, oh, we could have avoided this and this cost us a bit, uh, but this was a lesson, maybe one of those. That's fantastic. That's such a good question. To be quite honest, we never really found impact through email onboarding. So we had our daily emails, news emails, super clear, like what the value of those emails were and what they, a user would get when they clicked through. Yeah. In addition to that, we attempted to have a eight-week nurture campaign where we basically onboarded users to the different facets of our content. And maybe it was because the product wasn't complex and so users didn't need that added up context or maybe we just missed the mark, but we never really saw measured lift in these onboarding programs, aside from like the initial email that introduces the subscription that gives people their username and their, you yeah. know, like subscription terms, like those were super important, really high open rates, their transactional emails, but like these other nurture emails where we were trying to make sense for the new subscriber, what they were getting, didn't see great engagement. And when we ran A-B tests where we've removed those emails and we just had our daily news content and then those like initial transactional emails, like we didn't see much of a change in the retention and like the, the usage from subscribers with the exception of two emails. And I'd love to talk about those two emails yep. because I felt like those were good. like diamonds. In our onboarding program, most of these emails were like formatted HTML, hero image, just they were creative. They were designed. We had two emails that were plain text emails. One was at three weeks and one was at six weeks. And what these emails did was they attempted to connect with our new subscribers on a very personal level. So they were coming from an individual on our team. They were coming from me. And it was essentially the first email. It's like, Hey, thanks so much for subscribing. We are so happy to have you what could we be doing better? Do you need help? And like yeah. that email, all replies came back to me in the beginning. And people would reply back after three, three weeks and say, hey, I can't log in. Or, hey, I'm still getting, I, I'm still getting like, you know, two emails a day. I wanted to unsubscribe, but like, it's not working. And so all these like problems started coming back. 
that seemed very core to being successful with our subscription. And so it was an amazing experience to one, get insight into what are these common problems? Okay, log is, login is a common problem. Like duplicate like accounts is a common problem, right? Like we would have users with multiple accounts that were feeding like newsletters into the same Apple email box. And so we would triage those. I would triage those at the center of the customer success. And like in doing that, we saw monthly attrition drop just by getting on top of connecting with our users. And then the six, the six week email was a very similar nature, plain text, super personal, just asking what's your favorite part about the subscription. And one, we got really interesting insights and we were able to kind of form like relationships with power users and, and get testimonials. But two, it was another opportunity for people to be like, my favorite part, I still can't freaking get in. This thing sucks. It gives people like an outlet. Otherwise, if you don't do that, like they have nowhere to go. Their frustrations go unresolved and they cancel. Absolutely. I love that. And it actually reminded me of a a time at Hotshot where Hotshot in the beginning when they launched, David and the team put together a basic onboarding sequence for emails. And at some point, somebody switched them off by accident. And at least two, three months went by and nobody noticed that they were off. And then we went back in and we're like, oh shit, it's like we've got no onboarding sequence. Like we need to fix this. And then we we started looking at the numbers and the data. And I think obviously when it comes to onboarding and adoption, there definitely is a lag because you don't see the results immediately. You'll see them over time with the cohort that went through it. And that's something we did monitor. But initially, like you said, there was almost no impact uh, on churn, retention, activation, like everything pretty much. Uh, stayed the same and uh, apart from one or two emails like you just said as well and those were like the personal ones that really made a difference and actually was one of the emails that I noticed from Hotjar that I absolutely loved and the the reason was that I was running a a company before Hotjar and uh, we had run out of funding and we run out of money uh, and savings and as you do like when things start to happen we started to get billing requests from all the SaaS services that we were using your credit card had been declined and every one of them was like bright red notice that you'd get like uh, your card is declined we'll cancel your service apart from hotjar and hotjar's message was directly from david it was a personal uh, message and all it said was like hey andrew we know like uh, business is busy things aren't always like easy i can't remember the exact message but it's like your card might have declined or there might be other reasons for it i'm here if you ever need anything or i can't remember the exact wording but really like personal it's like if you need help just let us know we're here for you but otherwise like uh, your account is going to be and i just remember that vividly that message because i was like it was just such a fresh like a breath of fresh air just receiving a message like that from a company and it wasn't like this bright red warning sign uh, that i was getting uh, and actually that was one of, again, like one of the more successful emails in terms of like stopping churn and being able to reactivate users because it was an inflection point that like, Hey, like uh, I need to pause the account. So I'm not doing projects. So there was an opportunity then to interact with the, with the user and because it was personal, uh, right. it was a great email. And David and the team, they were showing empathy. They were yeah. like coming at it from like a, a human aspect approach. Yeah. yeah, and I think you win fans that way as well. Uh, at the end of the day, like people remember these experiences and uh, they talk about yeah. them on podcasts. That's um, awesome. But yeah, so very interesting. So you, you said okay, in terms of aspect, you realized like this was one area. The other thing you mentioned as well then was 
you had you have different uh, types of users that have different variants and frequency in which they want to receive emails and how did you go about figuring that out? Like, how did you put together a system that enabled users to self-serve how frequent they want to interact with Inman? So we made it really easy to adjust your settings. And this was like a, this was definitely a conversation that we had at Inman. It was like, how easy do we want to make personalizing your email cadence? Because we knew we had data that showed the more emails someone got, the more engagement we would like drive with that person because there were just more touch points. There were more opportunities for them to see a headline that was interesting to them. Mm -hmm. So making it really easy for someone to say, I don't want to receive a daily email. I want to receive one email a week. Like it was very hard to do from the Inman point of view because you're going from having five touch points Monday through Friday plus weekly emails to having just like one weekly email and hoping that the headline that we choose for the subject line or that the content like is interesting enough to that user for them to engage with that one email. So it was definitely a difficult balance to strike. We wanted to convey just the fact that, hey, we're producing so much content and this is a really, like in real estate, it's important to have a jump on new information that's gonna help your clients, that's gonna help your, your business partners make more informed decisions. And in order to do that, you want to be subscribed to these newsletters, like specifically news slash emails and, and weekly digests. Yeah, it was tough. But at the end of the day, we decided that we need to make customizing your email settings a very easy thing to do. And the way that we could try to influence more selection is by communicating on the email settings page, just the value of receiving these like more frequent emails. Yeah, I can definitely see the conflict there because in one way it's, it's quite difficult to measure the impact as well over time of what that frequency uh, and how it impacts churn and retention at the end of the day because ultimately like you want to be seeing people coming back on a regular basis. You want to see them getting regular value, but at the same time you don't want to be annoying them to the point where they're like, I just don't want this newsletter in my inbox anymore and they end up churning. So totally. it's like a double-edged yeah. sword. Like one way is you're just going to piss them off because you send them too many emails and they don't want to have the subscription anymore. Or on the other side, and I see this personally as well. I think I'm subscribed to Business Insider. First couple of months, like uh, it was good. I was enjoying the content. And then like now, it just obviously, I think also as you go in waves and cycles when you're busier and certain things, like now it's just, I don't have time. I don't want to see those emails anymore. They're just starting to annoy me in, in my inbox. Uh, figuring out the right way because in both sense, like yeah. I'm a churn risk now in both areas. Yeah. From BI's like, point of view, can they measure your engagement with their emails? The fact that you're not opening emails and like just proactively pull back a little bit or can they take insight into your like your interests and like your reading patterns? And, okay, what keywords or what themes has... Andrew been particularly interested in and can yeah. we look to reveal those in our fewer shots on goal and try to engage him and re-engage him it's an interesting opportunity for for a for subscription sure. company like that I think they definitely do the latter uh, so I've noticed that is like when I read a couple of posts on BI they end up in my inbox like the next year the same topics and themes the frequency they haven't got that one locked down yet for sure otherwise they would really last to stop sending them uh, yeah. Interest is a weird thing, though, because just because you read a particular article doesn't yeah. mean you're necessarily interested in 
the like keywords that flash at the top of that article. Like it's very nuanced and it's easy to miss as a publication in trying to like guess what people are interested in. Have you seen it done most effective? That's a great question. Because it is a very nuanced topic and issue and it's very subjective and difficult to apply a model to. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that the best I've seen is Morning Brew. And the yeah. fact that they have so many specialized newsletters, as a user, you're able to opt in and you're able to choose. I think this like mm. this intentional choosing of what you're interested What's in. So Pinterest, yeah, Pinterest initial quiz when you're onboarding to use Pinterest, how they like explicitly ask you what you're interested in. I think that's a really key part because just machine learning or AI determining what you're interested in in my experience, a lot of times falls short. Um, It doesn't really hit the mark. There's like nuance, human nuance that machines haven't really picked up. You can't get around. Yeah, and I think that being able to pick and choose, I think I've even seen a couple of places where you can follow certain topics and that sort of then becomes into what you get in your inbox and things like that. Nice. As you're actually running up on time, so I want to ask you a question that I ask every guest. Sure. What's one thing that today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career about channel retention? Retention is the most important lever to pull from a growth perspective. If you don't have strong retention as a company, you're dead in the water. Like all these companies focus on top level gross ads and don't spend time on retention because it seems a little bit more nebulous, but that's the wrong approach. At Inman, like when I first got exposed to our subscription product, after about a year, I realized like, hey, we're adding all of these new users, but our our user base isn't growing at the rate that we would expect. And so we looked into our our monthly churn numbers and they were at about 5%. What that meant is that if our subscription at that point was say, 40,000. We're churning out 2,000 people every single month. So just to break even, we need to bring on 2,000 new people. And and then anything above 2,000 is our growth. And so yep. like when we realized that, we shifted focus and we we're like, okay, what are the metrics that we can target on the retention side? How can we fix this problem? And to your point earlier, you, you said that it's not really a problem that you can fix with just metrics. And I largely agree with that because it's more of a growth lever. But there are certain things that we experienced in cancellation save flow or in involuntary churn that can be measured, that can be optimized. And we saw a lot of success with that. Absolutely. I think we mentioned this on the last episode as well, just like basic things like credit cards. The typical credit card is expiry of 24 months. That means essentially 5% of your user base has a credit card expiring every month. That's a risk for churn right there. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of those levers that can be pulled and uh, tricks. And talking about that actually is next question I want to ask. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. You join a new company, general retention is not doing good at all at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, Kyle, you're in charge. You need to fix this. You need to fix it fast. We have three months. He's going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, what do you do? But the catch is you're not going to tell me I'm going to go and speak to customers or I'm going to look at the data and figure out the problem. You're just going to pick one tactic one thing that you've seen be effective in the past at a company reducing churn quick and run with that blindly hoping that it works. What would you choose? Cancellation save. Yeah. 
So my reason for choosing that is everyone who signs up for a product has a vision of them being successful with that product. And if they, at some point down the road, look to cancel, in a lot of those cases, it's because the company didn't fulfill that vision. And so if you're able to, through a strong cancellation save approach, recalibrate, reconnect, and come up with a compromise to give that customer a path forward with your product, to give them another shot, like I've seen that be so successful because people don't want to cancel in a lot of cases, right? It's a cry for help. They have a core need that they want filled and they think that your product could fill it or at some point they did think that your product could fill it. So can you reset, compromise and replan a new path forward with that user? I think that is, is so important. I love the way you phrase it because like typically as well on the show, uh, I'd push against on this, this topic being like, I think for short-term change, I think it's perfect because this question is it's quite a, it's a trick question in itself because reducing churn really fast, there's only limited number of effective methods. And this obviously you mentioned is one of them, but typically I think at this point is like if somebody's actively made a decision to cancel and use a product, the problem that they have with your product probably happened months ago or weeks ago. And this is just like the final straw that's got them there. So while they can be effective, they're not going to be as effective of trying to figure out early on in the life cycle and the journey, like what's went wrong? Why are we missing on like the value uh, prop message and stuff? But yeah, uh, I like the way that you framed that uh, from the different perspective in the sense that uh, your product didn't live on a promise, but they did want to come to the intervene and trying to figure out that compromise of like, how can we still deliver on that promise, but potentially not lose them? And yeah, very cool. Totally. There's a glimmer of hope. There's, There's a always glimmer a glimmer of hope. hope. Exactly. Nice. Uh, well, Carl, I mean, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting to you today. And oh, I nice. wanted to ask like a question. Is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of? Or how can they be uh, kept up to speed with your work? I guess the last thing that I'd love to leave with your listeners is and I think I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's not just important to focus on retention and like use that as a key growth lever, but you need to go beyond that as you know, a growth professional, a growth marketer, and you need to like really champion that idea across the board. You need to share with other XFN, like cross-functional crafts, why it's important, why churn is important, why retention is important. And if you can do that successfully at a company, the company is better for it. It's more holistic focus, uh, more wholesome focus. And if there's one thing that I would leave your readers with or your listeners with, it's that. But it's champion. not enough to just know it. You need to champion it. Yeah, I love that. Very cool. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining today, Carl. I really appreciate it. And I wish you best of luck now going to 2022. Yeah, likewise. See you, Andrew. Thanks so much. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. 
Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.